Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by research analyst Greg Sumner. Greg began his career at Morgan Stanley, where he served in various roles, before moving to Tiger Shark Management, working there as a research analyst for seven years. Greg joined Diamond Hill in 2015, covering producer durables for the firm. This is Greg's first time on the podcast, and as with most things these days, we'll be discussing COVID-19 and its impact on his coverage universe. On today's episode, Greg and I will break down his recent industry perspectives piece uh, available on our website, diamond-hill.com. For those with kids that are going through virtual schooling from home to begin the school year, we'll discuss a tip to help your children potentially improve their schoolwork. As we continue to work through these unprecedented times, I ask for your understanding for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Greg Sumner. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, Let's jump right into the questions. Your industry perspectives piece uh, focuses on companies that can benefit from some of the changes that we're seeing emerge due to the coronavirus. Prior to the emergence of the pandemic, any discussion around air quality was focused on a broader kind of wellness trend associated with cutting edge smart buildings. Let's talk a bit about the background on better air quality for buildings as a trend and how something considered as quote, nice to have, but not viewed as a need to have shifted dramatically uh, on the heels of the global pandemic. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I, mean, I mean, if you think about a new technology like a smart building, um, if you're selling it to other companies, you're not consumers, but businesses, for the most part, you need to make a pretty good business case for a company to buy it. You need to convince them that this product can help them make money. And, and generally speaking, it can't just be some cool new gee whiz technology. Uh, and I say generally speaking, because obviously there are some exceptions out there, uh, but it's gotta be something that's gonna help them make money. And, and smart buildings just in general have sort of been cool technology for a while, but at times maybe there wasn't a great business case to be made. And one thing you can use smart building technology for is to make the building much more energy efficient. And that will help you save money on your utilities. And then all of a sudden you do have a business case. Uh, So there was some adoption there. It wasn't exactly taking off though, because there's some issue with the incentives. You know, often the person or the company who's paying for the building upgrades doesn't get the benefits. And also the utility bill is a pretty small fraction of a company's expenses. There's a rule of thumb for a company that for every one square foot of office space you have, you spend about $3 per year on your utilities, about $30 per year in rent, and $300 per year in the people that are gonna be in that office. So it doesn't move the needle too dramatically, but the savings from this sort of green stuff is, is very obvious and it's quantifiable. It can essentially be guaranteed. And so you would get adoption from that. And, and then what happened is society as a whole and, and big companies in particular really started to care about the environment and the ESG movement and shareholders of these big companies wanted them to be environmentally conscious. And you have these various organizations out there certifying buildings based on how green they are. And, and big companies started to seek out this certification to prove they care, you know, and, and they were more eager to occupy a certified building. And there's studies that show that everything else equal, 
you can charge more rent for one of these buildings if it has a certification. So now you've got a very strong business case, right? You're saving money on your utilities. You're making your shareholders happy. It's probably helping your stock a little bit. So the, the green element of smart buildings really started to kind of take off, at least in certain you know, markets. But there's this whole other potential killer app for smart buildings, and that's the indoor air quality and the wellness aspect to it. And there are very real benefits to all of these wellness you know, solutions. Studies have shown that better air quality leads to less absenteeism. Uh, studies are show that students do better on standardized tests when they have better air quality. Uh, so this is something that companies really should want. But unfortunately, it's much harder to quantify the benefits of this wellness movement than it is with the energy saving movement, right? Because, you know, you, you, going green, you see it in your energy use, you see it in your utility bill. These other benefits you don't see, you know, as concretely. So it's been much tougher for the smart building companies out there to make the business case that you need to adopt these wellness initiatives. They were gaining some traction, you know, pre-COVID in their efforts to sell this. Um, for example, LEED certification is one of the big sort of certification for buildings of, of green, but it's evolved over time and, and now it includes wellness in its formula. So you, you can be a little less energy efficient if you have better indoor air quality. Um, so that helped, but you know, a lot of these wellness programs involve bringing in fresher air and that uses energy and that, and, and that makes you less green. So there's been, there's been this sort of friction between the two sort of uh, main use cases for, for smart buildings. Um, and if you think about it, you know, wellness, it's, it's really an important issue. I mean, we spend 90% of our time indoors, right? The whole green movement to use less energy so there's less pollution outside, that's great. But if we're breathing dirty recycled air when we're inside, which is 90% of the time, it's, it's self-defeating. And also, you know, the energy conservation can help you with that $3 per square foot. But th this wellness, you know, this can help you improve the return you're getting on the $300 per square foot you're spending on your people. So it makes a ton of sense to invest in these solutions but unfortunately, it's just been hard to prove the benefits to, to the, co the companies who would, who would be buying it historically. Of course, that's all changed now with COVID, right? All the tools and techniques that smart building companies were, were using to promote the wellness initiative can now be used to fight COVID. And there's a very built, compelling business case now to adopt these, these tools. Um, you know, I would argue employees aren't going to want to go back into an office unless this stuff is installed. You know, consumers aren't gonna to wanna to go into a mall or a restaurant unless these things are there. Um, you know, to be clear, this is not a miracle cure, uh, but I do believe it will make people more comfortable, you know, about going inside buildings. And if, if it can do that, building owners and, and the tenants, they're all gonna want these things installed in their buildings. So I think we've kind of reached uh, a tipping point um, with the, you know, sort of demand for wellness products and services uh, for buildings going forward. So as you were talking, I was, I was making a note to myself to go change my filters immediately uh, <laughs> because my kids are studying from home. So I want to make sure yes. I, I amp up their ability to do well. 
Yeah. Um, no, I actually had the same thing and I, I went around opening windows and changing filters and I, I, I did all that myself. So note to listeners, that's something that you should take a look at. Um, one of the areas that you touch on in your perspectives piece is the need for an evolution of the ventilation system infrastructure, including more effective filters, increases in humidity, uh, and the inclusion of air cleaning and disinfection technologies such as ultraviolet germicidal irradiation. So first of all, what is ultraviolet germicidal irradiation? And secondly, which companies do you believe are best positioned to benefit from the potential changes uh, that will be needed in buildings across the country? So ultraviolet germicidal irradiation, and, and you can call it UVGI for short, it's a little easier to say, but it's just a disinfection method. And, and it uses ultraviolet light to kill bacteria, you know, mold, and viruses. And it can be used on, on a surface, you can use it on water, and you can just use it on the air. And, and, and my understanding is there's a, there's a few types of UVGI out there that have different levels of potency and different levels of safety. The, the low powered stuff is, is safe to be around for a little while, but it, unfortunately it doesn't kill viruses. Historically, the, the more powerful ones that can kill a virus are harmful to people. Um, now, having said that, there is apparently some new technology that's being worked on as we speak that can hopefully kill viruses and is safe for people to be around, but it's still, you know, a, a work in process. As it stands now, you know, you can use this technology when no one's in the room. Um, either you have it installed and hooked up to a system that can sense when there's no one there, or you can have a cleaning crew kind of bring it around a portable unit and, and, and put it in. But either way, you turn it on when no one's there and you try to kill, you know, as many of the viruses as you can in that room. Uh, you can also install it in the upper part of the room, uh, like a, way up by the ceiling, or in the ductwork, you know, away, you know, as long as it's away from people. And in that case, you essentially have to bring the air to it. Um, but either way, it's, it's one of the tools that a smart building can deploy to, to make themselves safer during, you know, this COVID era. And again, it's not a silver bullet, but when used in conjunction with the other things I, I did mention in the piece, which is significantly more ventilation, better filters, you know, all of that together, collectively it can help make being indoors with other people safer, but it, it does not make it, you know, 100% safe. Um, you know, as far as who's in, you know, a good benefit, you know, good, good position to benefit from all this, I'd, I'd say the HVAC companies are in the best position. They will be installing the UVGI, UVGI systems in the ductwork. Um, they don't make the systems themselves, but they will make money from the installation and the maintenance. Um, they'll also be upgrading the HVAC systems to, you know, provide the increased ventilation rates um, you need to, to get the fresh air in and also offset the, the denser uh, filters that are going to be installed. And, and customers will have to pick, you know, more powerful HVAC systems. They'll also have to, they'll have an incentive to, to upgrade to the most energy efficient systems to sort of help offset some of the costs that, that all this is going to incur. Um, within HVAC, I, I think Johnson Controls is probably the best position. Uh, they have a, a very strong presence in commercial HVAC equipment. They have a big network of, of service technicians who, who do installation and maintenance. Uh, and they have a very strong presence in, in building control software that can integrate all this equipment and all these systems and, and make the building, you know, quote unquote, smart. Um, we also own Carrier, 
which is another strong commercial HVAC player who will benefit from all this as well, although they maybe have a little less exposure to some of the installation uh, software and controls element. But, but all those HVAC companies should, should see some benefit from this. So another area that your piece addresses uh, is the protection of employees beyond, you know, some of the things that we were just talking about, improved circulation system, et cetera. But the things that we've heard since all of this started, social distancing, touchless entry, elevators, doors, masks, temperature checks. What are some of the methods that you've been hearing about and, and what companies will be at the forefront of delivering some of these products and services? Yes. Yeah, so, so there actually is a lot that can be done from sort of the security side of this in, in addition to the HVAC side. And, and for example, I think the temperature checking technology I alluded to in the piece is, is pretty interesting. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can take someone's temperature before they go into a building. You know, you can have someone standing there, you know, all, all geared up in PPE, taking temperatures. You can actually have a robot do it. You know, I've, I've seen some videos of, of robots taking temperatures. But at the end of the day, all these lead to people lining up. And, and then, you know, that, that social distancing, that's, that's the problem. So one potentially very interesting way to do this is, is through a camera. And in this case, it's just a very accurate thermal imaging camera. And you set it up by the entrance. And, you know, we're talking mostly about offices, but you can do this at the mall, you can do this at the airport, wherever you want to do it. And they can check like 30, 40 people at a time. And you don't have to line up. You're just walking down a hall and it's using facial recognition technology and the thermal imaging technology to take your temperature as you walk by. And apparently they're, they're pretty accurate, you know, with less than a half degree, you know, Fahrenheit of accuracy. Obviously, you know, again, it, it's not perfect because, you know, with COVID, apparently you can be contagious without having any symptoms, but it could still, it could still be helpful, right? And then there's other, other things you can do too, just using the existing security system. Um, you can combine the cameras you already have with new software to, to monitor uh, people in the building, make sure they're maintaining social distancing, make sure they're wearing a mask. Uh, you can combine all of that with, with some sort of touchless identification system. You know, maybe it's RFID cards, cell phones, you know, whatever it might be, but you can use those systems to, to gain access to a building frictionlessly, you know, without having to touch anything. And you can also use that to track you as you move around the building. And, and that way, if there is an outbreak in the building, you can go back and, and look at who was there, who they were in contact with, and you can have those people stay home and, and, and go get tested. So um, I, I think it's an interesting area that will kind of supplement what you can do with the HVAC systems. As far as who's at the forefront in this area, again, it's, it's JCI. Um, they, they merged with Tyco um, a while back, and Tyco was a leader in building security. And Johnson Controls is, is one of the few companies out there now that, that offers both HVAC and building security. Carrier does as well, so they're, they're going to benefit from this angle also. But Johnson Controls is really the leader in thinking about all these systems holistically. And I think that's going to going to benefit them. And you know they've lately been issuing you know, press releases about this new temperature check camera that they have, but it's one of I think 16 new patents that they've filed uh, in recent months for for products that are specifically designed to combat COVID. So it's it's a pretty big focus for them. Um, Honeywell is is another company we own. 
they are a leader in building management software and security as well. And they've also come out with a temperature checking camera. Um, so they'll benefit, but it's, it's a smaller part of their overall portfolio. So it's not as, as impactful for them, but they'll be one of the beneficiaries as well. So let's go off topic a little bit from your perspectives piece, because um, I want to get your, your input or your thoughts on, on something you just completed. You just virtually attended the Jeffries Industrial Conference just a week or two ago, whatever it was. Uh, what was that like compared to attending the conference in person? Obviously, you don't get to see everybody or, or shake hands, but how did the technology hold up? And I know that you had mentioned that, that some of your technology at home was a little bit lagging, but um, how did it hold up and, and what was the general you know, feel uh, coming out of that conference? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, it, it is weird, right? Uh, the technology did hold up reasonably well, you know, even for me, um, I don't have the best <laughs> Wi-Fi in the world, but it, it held up okay. Um, you know, we've all done these Zoom calls. I mean, we're doing run right now and we're all sort of used to some of the issues there. Um, and for some reason, I don't know why, but most, I've, the Jeffries conference and I've been to a couple other, they're using uh, something called blue, blue jeans instead of Zoom. I don't really know the difference. It seems like it's basically Zoom, but in both cases, it's not perfect. You know, every now and then someone cuts out you know, it can be a little glitchy, um, but it works reasonably well. But, but having said that, I think it's just a very different experience. You know, the, the meetings are a little awkward. They're a little harder to do virtually. You know, people talk over each other more. You don't have these little subtle cues that, you know, someone else wants to ask a question. Um, and you can't read body language. You know, when, when, I'm, when I'm meeting with a management team, I, I actually do try to observe their body language, you know, when they're answering questions. It, it's obviously not, you know, extremely accurate and I don't put a ton, ton of weight on it, but um, I really do think that you can get a sense of when someone's uncomfortable or maybe get a sense of when someone maybe isn't being entirely open by how they answer questions. And, and some of that is in the wording of their answer, but you know, a lot of communication is nonverbal and you just can't get that with these, with these virtual conferences. You know, I think, I think there's studies saying that like 55% of communication is, is nonverbal. And a lot of the, even the verbal stuff, um, it's not just the words, but it's the tone and the inflection. And, and a lot of that can be lost on, on a Zoom call. So um, listen, I don't, I don't miss the travel, but I don't <laughs> think I get as much out of the virtual conferences as I do uh, in, in, you know, attending in, in person. So Greg, for your last question, I'm going to, I'm going to open it up a little bit and talk a little bit of politics, but not a ton. Uh, but as a country, uh, everyone knows we've used up the CARES Act stimulus package. And as of the publication of this podcast, uh, we're still waiting to see if the politicians are going to be able to funnel additional money to keep the U.S. economy going, you know, during this uncertain time. You know, not knowing what the final stimulus package could be, how important do you think it is to include funds for building owners to implement the necessary safety measures needed in what is this new world that we find ourselves in? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just absolutely critically important. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm talking about goes, you know, way beyond sort of the CARES Act or the PPP or, or any of that stuff uh, that's sort of front and center today. I, I kind of view that as more of a, a Band-Aid, you know, temporary solution to get us through the near term. What I'm thinking about is, is you know, there's a need, and, and, and we've had this need prior to COVID, actually, but a need to invest significantly in the infrastructure in this country. Um, you know, President Trump actually proposed, I think it was like a one and a half trillion dollar plan back in early 18. 
Um, and now he's talking about a $1 trillion plan. Um, you know, Biden is, is talking about a $2 trillion plan. And, and the priorities of, you know, Trump versus Biden will, will obviously be different based on, on party lines. But, um, you know, for example, Trump's plan right now, it doesn't have a lot of details, but it seems to be a little more focused on, on traditional things like roads and bridges, whereas Biden's focuses a lot more on, on green energy and specifically calls out buildings and even, you know, air quality in schools. Um, but I think unless, you know, unless we get a vaccine or a cure fairly soon, most people just aren't going to be all that comfortable gathering inside with a lot of other people unless buildings start to deploy some of the solutions that we've been talking about, right? And, and these things can be expensive. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars per building, you know, $30,000, $40,000 or more for, for an average commercial building um, if, if you go, you know, high end. So with, with so many of these industries, you know, struggling right now, it's just going to be hard for them to do on their own. So I believe there's a reasonable chance, you know, as we move forward that we'll transition from some of these sort of Band-Aid type measures to more investments that are, are going to not only put money in people's pockets, but, but yield, you know, lasting benefits. And if we're still struggling with COVID at that point, you know, I think the return on our investment with this type of thing is going to be significantly higher than it would be for just a road or, or a bridge, you know, as badly as that, as that is needed. Um, and if Biden wins, you know, there's a lot of lot in his plan already that's focused on buildings. So I think it'd be a pretty easy jump for him to to focus it on this wellness angle as well. So I think in either case, something is is likely. Um, but you know, if I'm wrong and we don't get it, uh, I do believe a lot of this will still be deployed. But it's it's going to be primarily in certain industries that are in a better position to afford it. And and um, you know, those companies that are are struggling they might be able to offset the cost with some of the energy savings, you know, by installing more energy efficient HVAC and, and LED lighting um, at the same time they're doing this. And they, they might even be able to get financing for all this backed by those savings. But, but even then, I, you know, I think adoption is going to be a lot slower. So, um, you know, I think this is something that would be really beneficial and um, I'm cautiously optimistic that it's it's going to be included regardless of, of who wins uh in november greg sumner analyst at uh, diamond hill uh thank you so much for joining me a lot of great information in there i know i'm going to go change my filters as soon as we get off so my <laughs> kids can be as smart as humanly possible i want to thank you for for joining me wishing you nothing but the best stay safe and uh, and we'll talk again soon sounds good thank you this material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.